When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello and welcome along to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily. Review mode is firmly clicked on as all 20 teams were in action this weekend and there's been some big, big stories across the last 48 hours two seven-goal thrillers, more VAR controversy and a debut goal for the new man at Manchester United. As expected, we're kicking off tonight's show after the late game at Old Trafford, United ending Arsenal's 100% start to the campaign as Anthony and a revitalised Marcus Rashford did the damage for Eric Ten Hag. Also to come in part one, the woodwork is still shaking at Goodison as Everton and Liverpool battled out a brilliant nil-nil draw. As brilliant as a nil-nil draw can be, and that was a cracker. Steven Gerrard eased some of the pressure he's been feeling as Aston Villa picked up a one-all draw against their old foes, Manchester City. In part two, we're talking England. Ivan Tony boosted his claims for a possible World Cup call-up as Brentford battered Leeds, but it wasn't so happy for David Moyes as he was left seething as VAR, yep, that's the second time I've mentioned it, and we're going to be talking about it quite a bit tonight. VAR denied the Hammers a point at Chelsea. And then to wrap it all up, we get the latest from the crisis at Leicester, more technology mishaps at Newcastle, and a wild weekend for Richarlison. All that to come on a busy show. My name's Fergal, freshly back from witnessing the rebirth of Manchester United at Old Trafford. We have Jay Motti from the Stretford Paddock. The revolution continues, Jay. It, it does. It does indeed. Yes, it's a bit weird. This winning, you know, winning every week, which is what happened for the last few weeks. So I can't get, you know, I can't get used to it. I don't know what's going on. Something's not right. Yeah. Well, hopefully, uh, speaking as an Arsenal fan, this is just a one-off for Manchester United. Uh, also feeling fresh, but a slightly different weekend. He's been shouting at wrestlers in Cardiff. Manchester City fan Ant McGinley. How are we doing? I'm doing very well. Yes, uh, similarities actually. Three letters for WWE, and yet there's a great comparison to VAR because the officials I was watching last night don't seem to have a clue about how to referee a match, uh, know the rules, and uh, and are easily distracted. And then actually looking at the Premier League's games this weekend, it seems pretty much the same thing. It does indeed. VAR has absolutely dominated the weekend. Pretty much every game has had a little bit of VAR controversy. Manchester United 3, Arsenal 1. There was some VAR nonsense included in this, Jay, but in comparison to the other games this weekend, it's taken a bit of a sideline. So let's talk about Manchester United. We're going to talk about debut Anthony in just a second, but Marcus is back. Two goals and an assist for Rashford. Even myself, I have to say, Arsenal got beat at Old Trafford. But I can't be angry at Marcus. He's back. He's back in business. Marcus Rashford for, Marcus Rashford for Manchester United. Yeah, it's great to see it. I love Marcus Rashford. And I've been saying sort of the end of last season, beginning of this season, he needed a good start to the season because 
his form just completely deserted him last season and he looked like he'd lost all confidence. He really didn't have a good sort of five months, if I'm being brutally honest. I know he was moved around a lot. Obviously, you know, everyone was playing pretty badly under Ralph Ragnick at, at one point, but you looked at him and you thought, you know, is, is this gonna, is he going to be able to turn it around? He's got a manager in Eric Ten Hag who seems to believe in him, seems to have a lot of confidence in him. A lot of people thought we might bring in more attackers, but we haven't. And Marcus has been given a chance and he's taken it. It's not been perfect, so I'm not going to pretend it hasn't, but goal against Liverpool the other week was a big goal for him. As you said there, you know, two goals today, another assist. I think that's three goals and two assists so far this season, which isn't too shabby. That's a good return. And those are the sort of numbers you should be getting from a player like Marcus Rashford because he's one of the best attackers on you know in the league on his day it's just we haven't seen his day often enough but I'm hoping that this can be it now that he can have a productive season like we've seen from him in the past don't forget he had back-to-back 20 plus goal seasons so if he can keep him flying as well as some of the other players we've got then yeah hopefully you know Eric Ten Hag can do what Ralph Ragnick couldn't and get the best out of Marcus Rashford and some of these other players as well. Anthony's debut goal was the other big story for Manchester United today and obviously the late game's just finished so I want to give you some of the quotes from Eric Ten Hag. He said, we need to make speed and creativity together in the Premier League if we want to be a threat. We've been missing a player on the right wing. Jadon Sancho and Rashford can both play there but they prefer to play on the left. With Anthony we have a specialist and he could be the missing link that we need. Now, We don't want to get too excited. Dave Scott, who's on the podcast quite regularly, uh, stuck a tweet up a little while ago and said something along the lines of, is it too early to say Anthony's the greatest player ever? No, it's not. He is. But he is going to come into the team. There's been a huge amount of money spent on him. Could he be the missing link? Because Rashford, if he's back in business, that's great. Jadon Sancho, it hasn't really clicked for him at Manchester United in the way that you and other United fans would have wanted. Can Anthony be the link that you needed because we're going to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo in a second. He's going to come back in eventually. You need a specialist on that right-hand side of the pitch if Ten Hag ball is going to is going to click. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like you say, we need someone who can be that player on the right-hand side, cutting on his left when he needs to, go wide when he needs to. We've tried Sancho there. We've, we've had Elanga there. Obviously, Mason Green was not looking like it's a player there if at all ever again so you need someone who you can rely on and yes we paid a lot of money for him but Anthony certainly fits the bill you know what he's about he's a flair player he's, he's got full of tricks he likes a bit he was even doing a little bit of showboating today he would move 1-0 up which was probably a bit premature but you know it's it's crowd pleasing at least so that's the type of play that the crowd like that the defenders can fear because he's so difficult because you don't know which way he's going to go he likes to shoot he can pass and he's got a you know he's got a bit of pace about him as well so I understand why Tanar's gone for him I understand why he wanted him and you can see what he brings to this team and if Marcus Rashford it's a big if but if Marcus Rashford can be down to down the middle and then you can have you know rotate that with um, Andy Martial and and Cristiano Ronaldo perhaps who, who doesn't seem to be getting into this team no matter who's not available he still seems to be on the bench then all of a sudden you've gone from having very few options in attack to having options to having players that are all different but are all you know bring something to to the attack so I'm very excited to see Anthony I thought you could see why Eric Ten Hag wanted him just from today's performance yes he got his goal but he was doing the, the little things that I think are sometimes missing from our attackers tracking back putting a foot in he, he was tackling from from the front as well and that's what Eric Ten Hag likes to do if you look at Eric Ten Hag's record at Ajax they conceded very few goals because his front foot three or you know his midfield as well would always get back. And that's been lacking a little bit of Manchester United. We've been leaving the defenders sort of on their own. So a player like Anthony who can not only do his you know, bit of the donkey work at the defensively as well, but 
get forward, get goals, run at defenders. Yeah, 100% can see why Eriksen Hag wanted him and he fits into that system perfectly because we need someone on that right-hand side who's capable of doing the things that Anthony's capable of doing. Just want to touch on Ronaldo before we move across to Arsenal, Jay. We mentioned him last week and obviously he's Cristiano Ronaldo. He's he's going to be featuring on podcasts and conversations about Manchester United Football Club all season. Another half an hour off the bench today and like the rest of the United fans, he was clapping along when Anthony knocked in his debut goal. There is a situation where he now has to force his way back into this team. And there's the screaming argument that this is Cristiano Ronaldo. Look who he is. Look how important he was for Manchester United last season. Last season for Manchester United seems like a long, long time ago now. Eric Ten Hag's strongest card that he's played so far this season is you'll play his way, you'll do it his way, or you just won't play. And that includes Ronaldo, Casemiro, who's come in, has had to be phased into the team as well. Are you still in the position that Ronaldo might not be in the team on a regular basis? Because he's not leaving during the transfer window. That's now slammed shut. He's not going to leave, obviously, before the World Cup, potentially moving on in January, although that's unlikely. This situation does still need to be balanced because Cristiano Ronaldo on the bench regularly is a waste. Yeah, I mean, it is strange that we're sat here talking about Ronaldo being on the bench, but that's where I think he's going to end up playing most of this season because you've got Anthony Martial, who was playing a lot in pre-season and you know it's an ad, does seem to like he played, he came on against second half against Liverpool, injured again. When he comes back into the squad, that's another player in front of Cristiano Ronaldo. And even with Martial out and Elanga not really amongst the goals and the question marks around Rashford as well down the middle, he's still not getting in the team Ronaldo. He's still on the bench. So, I think that it might end up being his lot. He's, he's you know, he's going to have to do with cameos and maybe starting your game and, and, and rotating, which for a player of his stature and, and you know, sort of status in, in, the, in the game as one of the all-time greats, isn't going to be easy to say. And, you, you know, you can see he's going to get frustrated or you expect him to get slightly frustrated with that. But he wanted to move. He didn't get the move that he wanted. And it's just... Basically, it's tough. If you're going to stay at Manchester United, you're going to play at Manchester United, you're going to have to play the role that's asked of you. And at the moment, the role that's being asked of him is one from the bench. I think the real test for Eric Tenar comes, not when he's bringing Ronaldo off the bench, when there's those games where it's tight. And this can happen, where you might have a game where it's sort of back to the wall and everyone's mucking in and you've got a one-goal lead or whatever, or you know, you're holding on to a draw, and you don't want to bring him on. You think, I don't want to actually bring him off the bench. This, you know, this game is, is sort of you know, on a knife edge the way it is and it's better to leave it the team as it is, then you might have an issue if he's not even getting off the bench where he's like, this is completely unacceptable. But we saw Ronaldo, he came on, he gave his all, he had a little bit of a hissy fit when Bruno Fernandes didn't give him the ball for one of the opportunities late on, but he was applauding the fans, he was, you know, cheering on his teammates. He certainly didn't look like someone who's down tools because I think one thing we can all be sure of is when Cristiano Ronaldo is unhappy, you know about it. So, yeah. We'll see how this pans out, but in a minute, I think that's that's his sort of role in the in the squad is from the bench, and unless you know Marcus Rashford's form suddenly starts deserting him again or or whatever, I think that's how it's going to stay for for a little while. Switching across to Arsenal and and Mikel Arteta's post match press conference, and I'm going to throw you his quotes in the same way we looked at Eric Ten Hag. He said he's really disappointed to lose the game, especially the way it went over 95 minutes. We controlled big periods 
while we were totally dominant and in total control, we didn't score the goals that we needed, created chance after chance and did not close out the game. That is what was frustrating for me and the players. And in any moment against Manchester United, if you leave space, they are going to hurt you. Now, we know it's not time for Arsenal to be thrown in the towel in terms of this performance. More possession, more shots than Manchester United. Our old favourite XG as well, they edged out United. But this is the end of the winning start to the season for Arteta and Arsenal. This huge amount of positivity. They were top of the league going into this weekend. And now this is a bump in the road. The questions that are never far away from Arsenal are going to come back and Arteta and the players need to react. Get him out is a complete disaster. I mean, actually, technically, they are still on top of the league as well, uh, Virgil. I know the depression of that defeat has probably got to you a little bit, uh, but they are still top by a point. And I, I think as well, you know, considering, you know, the start that you had last season, this is light years away. And also, I think the general mood at Arsenal, certainly from the outside, it, it is one that there's something really good happening there. And yeah, I think you're completely right. It is a bump in the road. I, th I think possibly the the thing that scared me most about this performance is probably sent a chill down a few Arsenal fans. If they watch that interview back once again, is he directly quoted Arsene Wenger when he was asked if uh, he thought that he should have got a penalty? And he said, I didn't see it, which is pretty much the uh, became a catchphrase of Arsene's. Um, I, I, I think in terms of the way they're playing, I, I think what, what hampered them today was Odegaard. Odegaard just seemed to be off the boil. I know he took a knock in the week and they, they took him off towards the end of the game. But Odegaard has, has kind of become the De Bruyne uh, for, for this Arsenal team. And, you know, there's, there's pressure on him. He's the captain. Uh, he's really flourishing as a player. So I think he was just slightly off the boil and, and that affected it. Plus as well, I think we have to give this and, and, and you know, I'm holding my hands up here. Usually I come into these shows when I'm on with Jay and I have 10, 20 one-liners about United. There's there's nothing I can say. I, it's it's superb that what, what Ten Hag's managed to achieve in a very, very short space of time. And it's his man management, the way he's working. There's There's been such a, I don't think it's too strong to say, a toxic atmosphere at Old Trafford for years. And this really feels like a breath of fresh air that, that, that has come with Ten Hag. And he seems to have got the buy-in from the team as well. So I think just that that's the consideration. They, they've hit United at a bad time. Had they had United the first two games of the season, something completely different in terms of the results. But I think Jesus looks incredible the way he's playing, he's, as, as if he's been unleashed. Like he's been, he wanted to play this way the whole time he was at City, but was never given the option. Um, and the, the, the three Gabriels in the team now, uh, the, 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 there is something very good there and I, I just think this is this maybe came too soon or too early sorry not, not too soon too late rather than too early for, for Arsenal as I say if they met them earlier in the season uh, they would have steamrolled the, the United but um, you know they're still at top alright they're not going to go and beat them throughout the season but they're still top of the league and it's been a long time since Arsenal have been there and I think you should enjoy it and, and they're still going to be in contention at least till Christmas I reckon yeah 
the the positivity of being in the title race until Christmas. Right, we're going to move on from the late <laughs> game on uh, on Sunday to the first game on Saturday, Anton. I'm going to stick with you on this. Everton nil, Liverpool nil. Drab Merseyside derbies, particularly at Goodison Park, have become a bit of a theme in recent seasons. The woodwork smashed three times. Both sides doing absolutely everything they can to try and score and try and miss. Connor Cody's goal against his former side was ruled out for having a toenail offside. So it ended nil-nil, a point each. Lampard, obviously, given the context of their start to the season, will be happier. Jurgen Klopp frustrated, although he did say at the end of the game, if you don't win a derby, make sure you don't lose a derby in a, in real Sunday league style. So I want to talk about one of the big talking points after the game, and that's Mohamed Salah, because he doesn't look himself and so far this season. I've got a couple of stats jotted down based on his performances so far this season. 43 touches against Everton. He averaged 47 per 90 minutes in the Premier League last season. And if we go to like touch maps and that type of thing, everything is down. And particularly his touches in the final third and his touches in the opposition penalty area are down. And the biggest one that's jumped out on me is his goals. Because let's face it, that is what we recognise Mohamed Salah for. Obviously, we're basing this on just five games so far this season. He's averaging a goal every 270 minutes compared to last season where he averaged one every 120 minutes. So that's a game and a half he averaged a goal. Darwin Nunez came back into the team on the back of his suspension. We know that he plays through the middle. We know that that's his primary role. Last season with Sadio Mane, Luis Diaz or Roberto Firmino, there was way more fluidity Liverpool have lost Sadio Mane, he's gone to Bayern Munich, and now their next best forward, or their best forward in Salah, is getting edged further away from the goal, and Liverpool look toothless. Yeah, uh, it's kind of a similar thing happening when uh, Ronaldo came on for United today by putting him out in the left wing, and he's he's not that kind of age of a player that can be there anymore. And I think the the most direct comparison is, is you look at how Nunes has come into the team, and Liverpool are rocky at the moment considering you know that they pushed again City right the way to the wire last season uh, for the title uh, and you know when you look at the, the the charity shield game it looked like Liverpool were firing on all cylinders and yet something's something's gone off there and and I think you might have stumbled across something in terms of like how he's been integrated into the team and also how important uh, Mane was in, in that lineup whereas you compare it to to City which we'll come on to in, in, in a minute it's almost like Haaland's moved seamlessly into that team and added another dimension. And actually, in, in that context, the touches don't matter so much in terms of the, the touches on the ball that he's getting. I, I think the, the there's a lot down to chemistry because you look for the last however many seasons, it, it's been a case of Firmino, Salah, Mane, and they've been terrorising defences, not just across the Premier League, but across... Europe, they've built up this connection, this chemistry that you see, and it's no surprise that there's a change in that, there's a shift in that, and obviously, and of course they've brought in Jota and Diaz in the last couple of transfer windows as well, but that's been very gradual, and again, Nunes has really been the big sign of this window, but obviously with that rather enthusiastic hug face hug shall we say uh he, he he's, he's missed a couple of games so it's still early in the season and i think when we come back to it at the end of this season we are going to see those stats being differently and you know i in, in terms of 
in terms of where that fits, I think for most people, I, th- I think the question is going to be, you know, normal fans, whether you're fans of Liverpool or not, is I think it's really interesting looking at the amount of people that are still playing Salah in their fantasy team. And I've certainly noticed in the leagues that I'm in, Salah is not being deemed worthy the, 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 the money that he's in there for. And so... Obviously, that's a different set of stats and different set of scores that are coming in, but it terms it shows that other people that, that that fans are seeing something there as well. Jay, I want to ask you about Frank Lampard because he's now been edged out a little bit further in the sack race. He's out to twelve to one to be the next Premier League manager that is going to be sacked. Good bit of business for Everton in the last couple of days of the transfer window. Neil Morpai, Adrissa Garner Gay, and James Garner obviously coming in from Manchester United to to bolster things, but. Everton still haven't won a game this season. They are fourth bottom for goals scored so far this season. Anthony Gordon getting two, Damari Gray and an own goal. It's not a great return. This is a nil-nil draw against a rival and obviously that can be packaged in that sense. Will Frank Lampard be given the time to get Garner and Garner and Anana and all these other new players into his team, into a system? Because the Premier League is cutthroat. They've not had a great start to the season. As I say, they still haven't won a game. Arsenal next weekend and they've got a really tough run after the international break. Is he still under pressure? Yeah, definitely. I think he's definitely under pressure. I mean, it was a battling result and, you know... I thought they were, I thought this might sound like a bit of a contradiction. I thought they deserved the draw, despite the fact Jordan Pickford pulled off some wonderful saves. I thought on the on the whole of it, the, the Everton were pretty good value for a point. But I just look at that team and I just think, where are your goals? You mentioned it there. There's a lot of pressure on a young kid, Anthony Gordon. Dominic Calvert Lewin, who's you know, he's injured and last season wasn't a great season for him. I think he played what was it, seventeen games or something and, and scored about five goals. So he wasn't really available, and when he was, he didn't do that much. Then you're bringing in Neil Mopai, who he's all right, but he's not prolific. He's he's a player who gets around seven or eight goals in the Premier League and was pretty much surplus to requirements of Brian was He wasn't getting in the team anymore. So is that someone you go, OK, he's going to get me the goals or get us the goals to get out of this mess? I don't see it happening. And that would be a, that would be my main worry for, for Everton. Because I rate James Garner. I think that's a very good signing. I rate Idrissa Gay as well. I think that's a good sign. Loads of two good signings. And I think James Garner, a lot of United fans were sad to see him leave and not be given much of a chance, especially for the figures which were around, I think, 9 million rising to 15 million, which a lot of people I spoke to, United fans and myself included, thought probably underselled him there a little bit when you see some of the prices going for players who aren't, you know, in, this, for me, in my opinion anyway, the same class as James Garner. But James Garner's not a goal scorer. He's a midfielder who, you know, he, he's decent on a dead ball, but he's not going to get you more than three or four goals a season, if that. So that would be my main concern. I just don't see goals in this team. And when I was watching the, the, the Merseyside derby, you can see where a better striker makes better decisions than Neil Morpite. A better a midfielder makes a better pass than he will be. There's just moments where you think you're just lacking that little bit of quality. And I don't mean to dig those two players out. I think, there was, you know, across the board there was decisions that I saw and I thought that's not a good decision you know going forward like Gray sometimes you think he you know he made the wrong pick the wrong pass then they brought on Dwight McNeil Dwight McNeil you know seems like a a model pro whatever I think he had no goals and one assist last season he's not going to be the answer to your problems if you're short of goals so that is the one sort of elephant in the room if you can even call it that because I think most people know about it that I think could end up costing Frank Lampard I don't see where the goals in this Everton team are coming from I really don't unless Anthony Gordon steps up and you know he has scored goals and he can he's a young lad 
if he keeps scoring and Neil Morpai probably does better than he's ever done in the Premier League and, and you know, hits double figures, then maybe they'll be all right. Or if Dominic Calvin-Lewin comes back in, well, that, to me, it smacks a little bit of wishful thinking. I think they could be in a bit of trouble there because of the lack of goals. We're going to talk about Manchester City before we take a break and a point away at Aston Villa. One-all draw eases the pressure on Steven Gerrard a little bit, but Pep Guardiola effectively hinted in his post-game press conference that City's inability to win every single game so far this season is keeping Liverpool in the title race. Six games played for both of them. Liverpool on nine points and Manchester City on 14. City are still unbeaten so far this season. Erling Haaland getting himself another goal. Would you agree with Pep on that? That it is a little bit irritating that there's a position here where Pep Guardiola could have just put his foot down. City could be almost gone in the title race in terms of Liverpool chasing them but because of this result and because of one or two other little stumbles so far this season they're not being ruthless enough and if Liverpool do get things together then there'll be a title race again I mean I think there's a little bit of kidology going on here as well because I mean you you just look at like United's start to the season you know and it was all doom and gloom and now they find themselves what just a couple of points you know that a couple of wins away from 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 being in 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 the top two or three, and I I, I think you know the, there's there's a little bit of deflecting the pressure here because there could very much be uh, a lot of question marks in, asked there. I think that there are issues. I think there's definitely issues um, when you look at the amount of chances that um, that Villa had. I think it was one shot on target. There was one great uh, save by Edison going down to the feet as well. But it's just really, you know, if we want, as a team, if we want to be winning the Premier League again, if we want to be winning the Champions League, if we want to be bringing home all the trophies that we can, you know, we need to do a little better defensively than letting them have a 100% success rate with their shots on target, whoever the opposition is, whether it's Villa or, or somebody in the Champions League. And... Obviously, there's some injuries that uh, we're looking at, and that's what one of the reasons why they moved for Akanji to bring him in at the back. Um, maybe the reason they brought him in as opposed to anybody else is because he's so good at maths, he can better calculate the shots <laughs> ratio and, and how successful they're playing in, 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 in the background. Um, but I also think that there, there is so, something that I noticed yesterday as well in terms of Obviously, you know, we've got this incredible striker at the moment in Haaland and, uh, you know, 10 goals in in his first six games. It, you know, I, th- I think the uh, Kanji would probably tell you if he continues that throughout the season, he's going to be coming away with 60 goals in a Premier League season. And we, we mentioned the fact that Salah's not scoring so well. You know, if, if he avoids getting injured and Pep plays him as much as he seems to be doing, uh, he could easily break the Premier League record, which is, I think, 34, 35. Uh, and not just break it, but smash it. But the, what I've noticed, though, is already there seems to be a thing when there's options. Uh, you know, and he's seen it, whether it's De Bruyne, and obviously he's built up a good chemistry with him already, but it's almost becoming predictable now because one of the things that as I've really enjoyed about watching City develop over the last couple of seasons is it's almost like any, any fans of American football when you watch the quarterback and you have three or four passing options for him to go for you know yes he'll have a preferred receiver to go to but there's always somebody else to hand it off and yet what what we saw in that Villa game yesterday was the tendency when De Bruyne had clear options he was playing it to Haaland now the pass was getting to Haaland 
which is great, you know, because he's one of the best passers of the ball. But that's possibly given the opportunity then for the defence to prepare and go, I know it's coming to Haaland, so I'm, I'm going to uh, hedge my bets on this side of things. Um, I also wonder if um, the introduction of Haaland, we were talking about how Liverpool have been disrupted potentially by Nunes coming in as well, is almost possibly having an effect in terms of leaving leaving some kind of gap in, in you know, we're not expecting Haaland to come back and, and, and defend or, or cut things off in midfield, although I'm sure he could do a job if he starts doing that. But just there was a couple of times yesterday where we were just caught completely um, unawares at the back and it was just, we just, um, on the back foot, just didn't have the pace. And actually, you know, th- there's a question mark about, I know we're going to talk about VAR a lot, but I think we've, there was a moment there where Villa arguably could have won it because uh, a play was flagged offside, everyone stopped, and Coutinho put the ball in the back of net, and it turns out he wasn't. And so, you know, I, I think that that in itself is having an impact as well, that's a, a different conversation. Yeah, two things I'm going to tell you on the back of that, Ant. First of all, it's not fair if Erling Haaland starts playing in midfield. I speak for the other 19 teams in the Premier League and say that's just not fair. You can keep him up front, so we're not having any cheat codes of Erling Haaland playing in midfield. And uh, maths lessons with Manuel Akanji, fair enough, but under no circumstances are we having geography lessons with Jack Grealish, okay? I'm saying that right now. They're, they're the two things that I would say to you on the back of <laughs> any, that. Any, any kind of lesson with Jack Grealish, I'm pulling my kid out of that school. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair enough. Right, we're going to take a quick break. After the break, we're switching across to some of the other games from Saturday. Ivan Tony pushing for a place at the World Cup. David Moyes very, very angry with VAR. And Bournemouth get themselves a rare win. All that to come, plus the rest of the weekend's action. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to the Premier League weekend review show here on the Football Social Daily. Before the break, it was the title charge of Manchester City. Derby draw in Merseyside between Liverpool and Everton and Manchester United ending Arsenal's 100% start to the season. So we're going to flick across to some of the other weekend games. Jay, I'm going to go to you first on this. Brentford 5 leads to Ivan Tony was the big story. His second Premier League hat-trick in less than nine months. The World Cup is just a couple of months away and he was asked in his post-match press conference, could he potentially be a wild card shout for the World Cup in Qatar? Now, looking at England's current squad options, Harry Kane is nailed on to go, but there is an argument that there's a lack of cover for the position that he plays. At the moment, it's probably a toss-up between Tammy Abraham and Dominic Calvert-Lewin and maybe even Patrick Bamford. And looking back over previous squads for England in major tournaments, 
there has always been room for a slightly wild card striker. Maybe not necessarily under uh, Gareth Southgate, but you've got Jermaine Defoe and Danny Welbeck in Euro 2012. In the World Cup in 2014, there was a couple of crazy shouts. Ricky Lambert managed to get himself on the plane. At Euro 2016, we can stretch that out a little bit further, and we had a very young Marcus Rashford going. And then at the World Cup in 2018, we had some even more ridiculous cards. Welbeck getting himself back in, Jamie Vardy was included. And then in England's march to the final last summer, there was Bukayo Saka, Jude Bellingham, Jaden Sancho, players that you wouldn't necessarily be nailed on to be included or started. Ivan Tony is scoring goals in the Premier League. He takes penalties very well, which is always important at a major tournament. Could he be an option for England at the World Cup? I think he should be, if I'm being honest. I, I like Ivan Tony. I was very impressed. I think he played against United in a friendly and I was impressed with him. Last season, when I saw him, I think he got 12 Premier League goals, which is a decent return for no disrespect to him, but a team like Brentford, who, you know, sort of mid to bottom table for much of the season. So he's he, he looks like that player who he's sort of easy to dismiss and think, oh, he's just, you know, he just takes penalties and he's just a bit of a handful, but he's got a bit of class about him. You saw that, I think it was the third goal, that little chip that he did. Mm-hmm. Nutmeg's a defender and then the little dink there. That's a player who's got, you know, he's got that in his locker and also the free kick as well. Come on, that was like a side-footed free kick with power into the top corner. I mean, if anyone else does that, you know, you, you, you I think most people would be singing from the rooftop. So you look at the way he's playing, the goals he's getting, the fact he's full of confidence and also... I think I'm right in saying he turned down any the opportunity to go to go with Jamaica to play for Jamaica because he, he felt he could get a, a stab with England. I think on just on merit, if you forget about reputation and and what's gone on before and uh, international level and all that other stuff that sometimes gives players the edge, just going on p- performances this season and even last season, then I think Ivan Tony deserves to be in the mix. And you you mentioned it yourself, you know, he is someone you, if you get to penalties, you can rely on. And that matters. It's mattered so many times for England. You know, you wouldn't be worried if Ivan Tony was take, uh, taking one of your penalties. He obviously is different to the likes of, of Harry Kane and Raheem Sterling and those types of players, but can fill in a, in a role as well, in that, in that similar role to them, but bring something different. So yeah, I think Gareth Southgate, as a wild card, he would be a very good option. I've actually, you know, I wouldn't have minded him at Old Trafford. I wouldn't have as a as a backup option for us because I think he's a very good striker. And I'll be surprised if he's at Brentford next season. I think Ivan Tony. I completely agree with you. He should definitely be in there. And and he's not just a player that's had one or two good seasons. He's done this consistently at every level that he's been on as well. You go back even before he came to Brentford uh, at Peterborough. I think he got like forty or fifty goals over the couple of seasons that he was there. Uh, he has something about him. I think he's a real leader in that team as well, which is something that you need on the international level. Another leader in the dressing room is only going to help. He has this incredible calmness about him. I think a lot of people were surprised last season when they saw him play because they maybe heard a lot about him but didn't see him in the championship. And he's not just this big, argy-bargy striker. Yes, he's awkward and, and and defenders don't like playing against him, but he's not you know, a, a painfully aggressive striker. He's a very clever striker. And actually, I would say, having, having seen quite a few of his penalties now, I would arguably have even more faith in his penalties than in Harry Kane's. Wow. Big call. Well, that, is, big, that is a bold shout. Big call. Okay. Uh, I agree. Obviously, I this would... will come back to haunt me at Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I, I think he's, he's definitely worth his place, at least in terms of consideration. A regular goal scorer. Because the, the World Cup being in the winter has 
skewed everything because we always have this conversation building towards the end of a domestic season of is this player in form etc when the the coin's been flipped this time around because it's a world cup moving towards the end of the calendar year you're bringing in players that have had a good start to the season and ivan tony definitely definitely fits that criteria so one to watch ivan for england right we're going to move on and david moyes not a happy bunny chelsea 2 west ham 1 but that only spells part of the to- part of the story because west ham were 1-0 up with 15 minutes to go ben chilwell comes off the bench to equalize kai havertz gets the eventual winner but the big story was Maxwell Corne missed a huge chance in added time and then he thought he'd made up for it Edouard Mende did a bit of a dying swan impression in the penalty area when Jared Bowen ran into him Maxwell Corne sticks it away but VAR we've avoided talking about it a lot but we're going to have to talk about it now David Moyes said this was an absolutely ridiculous decision and this is a perfect example that even at this stage of the season these calls when they're not right cost teams big this would have been a huge point for West Ham they've not had a great start to the season they've gone to Chelsea they've Mm. got themselves a point only for it to be taken away from them and David Moyes has every right to be fuming yeah and nobody gets angry quite like David Moyes and I do enjoy seeing him get angry but I I think he's completely justified in this situation as well Um, I've got to say in in terms of Cornet although a lot of people are calling him Cornet so I'm not quite sure which way it is um I, I always thought he was a class player at Burnley. I'm, I'm really pleased to see him back in the Premier League. I thought it was a beautiful finish that he, that he got in. It was very calm, quite similar to uh, Tony's lob, but from, from much closer in. Um, I, th- I think the thing is, though, when you look at it, and I, th- I say this as a fully paid up member of the goalkeepers union as well, and I'm all for getting protection on all those things, but come on. Like, Mendy is a unit, and Bowen, like, that, that was a brush. And, and I think the issue is is uh, you, you'll have heard this word over and over again, whether you've listened to other podcasts or picked up other coverage over the weekend, is consistency. And you compare it to other incidents that we've not even got to yet, where where there's been contact. You know, they, they've come out and said, well, that's classed as normal contact. That is, he's brushed past him. You know, he's, he's not, if he'd gone in studs up, yes. If there'd been a, a look of like, he was sort of trying to stand on him to get through, Yes, I'd be all for it completely as as a goalkeeper and as in the interest of fairness. But in this instance, the, the, it's like a fifty fifty ball. Keepers come out, he's there. They've both gone for it, and it it just does not it does not make sense to. I think I'll be honest. Any right minded football fan watching that, with the exception of anybody who's a Chelsea fan, and I'm not saying they're not right minded, but just in terms of like the general, you take a step back and you look at that, and you go, fair enough, that's a goal, and. I, yeah, I, I think it's it's so devastating as well. I mean, and still, this is what I can't get my head around. We seem to take a step forward with, with VAR and then go backwards. And we still have this issue, which is really killing just, just the enjoyment because you have that elation, that last-minute equaliser. How? It's one of the greatest things in football. And everybody goes through this and then it's taken away again. And I think the, the problem with this is it's going to have a much bigger impact because if people stop enjoying it they're going to stop watching it or, or, or lose interest and, and go somewhere else and I don't think any of us want that No and uh, Pogmol the referee's body have 
come out with an apology uh, on the back of that decision. There was also some controversy in Crystal Palace's game with Newcastle. We're going to talk about that a bit later on. The referee's body have said, we are wrong and will fully, fully cooperate with a Premier League review of both incidents and work together to improve VAR. Now, there's a half an apology if ever I've heard one, right? We're going to move on to the final game of part one, Nottingham Forest and Bournemouth. On the face of this, this was nailed on to be a nil-nil, Jay, but actually turned into be a cracker. Forest 2, Bournemouth 3. We know that Bournemouth have become the first Premier League club to sack their manager. Scott Parker is gone. Gary Neal is in on interim charge. And it wasn't just Anthony knocking in goals at Old Trafford. Jaden Anthony got the Bournemouth winner in this one. I want to talk about the future for Bournemouth because with all due respect to Gary O'Neill, it's not certain that he will carry on, that he'll replace Parker either on an interim basis for the rest of the season or permanently. The strong favourite to take over is Sean Dyche. Now, Sean Dyche obviously is out of work at the moment after leaving Burnley. Huge amount of Premier League experience, maybe a little bit undersold as a bit of a Sam Allardyce-style coach, but he does bring with him a fairly strong pedigree of keeping teams in the Premier League. Would he be someone that you'd look at, or would you go for O'Neill or maybe a left-field choice? O'Neill's certainly given himself a fighting chance of getting this job, I know, with that turnaround um, at Forest because I think I'm right in guessing he made a change as well didn't he, he a little sort of tweak went, in the second half yeah 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 and went with um, wing backs which Forest didn't seem to know how to cope how to cope with and, and that more or less got got Bournemouth to help get them the three points so you know that's obviously a good result down to him as well and his tactical changes and you can look at that okay he's got that but you know, is that just a sort of a one-off or the new manager bounce or whatever, or the caretaker bounce or whatever? Can he do that consistently? You'd think that on reputation, out of the two of them, it'd be more, Sean Dyche is more likely to have that experience to be able, or to, he's certainly got that experience, but more likely to be able to keep you up. I just, it, for me, it depends on how quickly Bournemouth will act. If they wanted to give Gary O'Neill, say, a few games or whatever to see what you're made of, then fair enough. And if he, you know, he carries on his, 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 these results, they might just keep him. But if they want to make a decision quickly, then they'll probably, for me, I've, I'd expect them to go with someone like Sean Dyche, who, as you said, on an absolute shoestring at Burnley for so many seasons, kept them comfortably in the Premier League until his last season, obviously. So Bournemouth haven't got any resources. They haven't spent any money. They have got some decent players. It's no, you know, that showed it against Forest. They've not just got a load of duffers. They've got some decent players. They've just lost complete confidence and, and 9 will do that to you. And Gary O'Neill, no matter what happens now, he deserves credit. Because to see your team get battered like that, lose the manager, and then go 2-0 down and win 3-2, that's phenomenal. That, that can't be understated. That, that is a really big achievement. Yeah, and it should be said that Gary O'Neill is second in the bookies ranking in behind Sean Dyche. Luton Town boss Nate Luton Town boss Nathan Jones is third. And just to wrap up, fourth place, a name to send a chill down everybody's spine. John Terry is currently fourth place on the bookies list to take over Bournemouth. A terrifying prospect that John Terry might be back in the Premier League. Right, we're going to take a quick break. After the break in part three, we are wrapping up the remainder of the weekend's action. Another manager under pressure that could be joining Scott Parker on the sack list is Brendan Rodgers. Leicester lost 5-2 against Brighton, a win for Tottenham against Fulham and a win for Wolves, but a bad piece of injury news. And then to wrap up, more VAR, of course, Alan Shearer raging against the machine. All that to come after the break. 
Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back to Sunday night's edition of the Football Social Daily. Here we are in review mode from a busy weekend of Premier League action. Right, we're going to cover the final four games from the weekend. Ant, Brighton 5, Leicester City 2. Brendan Rodgers, we're starting to see shades of here's Johnny from The Shining or, or Colonel Kurtz from Apocalypse Now. He's he's speaking the truth, he's adding off, he, he looks like he's ready to go and he is maybe garden the players to an extent he said in his post-match that the results are down to me I'm the manager we need to go away get back on the training ground work hard and and get that first win of the season but he looks gone he looks like he's had enough he's speaking out against the club the ownership there's fans even calling for him to go which is crazy when you think of how previously well Brendan Rodgers has done at Leicester but they've shipped five goals they still haven't won again won a game so far this season and they're bottom of the league, he can't go on much longer. Oh, not at all. I mean, for me, there's two types of people in this world. Uh, there are people that will suddenly realise a relationship isn't working for them and end it and walk away. And then there are those people who will complain about the in-laws. They will complain about the snoring. They will complain about the untidiness. They will complain about all these things and go on and go on and go on uh, before until there's nothing left. And that's basically what he's doing right now he's just running out of things i think he's he, the only person that doesn't realize rogers has checked out of leicester is rogers himself you know he's he's so complete and, and the crazy thing about it as well is these two clubs are, are possibly the best run clubs in the premier league in terms of the way that they do things and funnily enough like where where brighton are now the way brighton's being run you know we would have said this about leicester just a year and a half ago and yet just it's all falling apart and and you know they yes they've lost players but brighton have lost players as well uh obviously brighton have, have spent a little bit more in the in, in the window but you've still got a squad of great players in there uh, at leicester and it just seems to be rather than going okay this is the situation i know this is what the club is working towards i know this is where we're at i'm going to make the best of it he's just not just throwing his toys out of the pram, he's throwing the baby out of the pram, he's throwing the kitchen sink out of the pram, he's throwing whatever you can fit in a pram that you can pick up and throw out. And it's just, it's getting to the stage where it's embarrassing to watch and I'm not even a Foxes fan. Yeah, I think if Mothercare was still open, Brendan Rodgers would be barred in case he went in because they'd be worried about what he'd be doing with their prams. A dangerous man to be wheeling around a pram by the sounds of it. Uh, we're going to move on to uh, one of the final games from the weekend. Tottenham 2, Fulham 1, Jay. Richarlison, I'd be honest, I I'm still massively unconvinced about him making the step up to playing Champions League football on a regular basis and, and being a force at a team that's pushing for honours. Antonio Conte was pretty positive about him after the game yesterday. He said he's someone that can cover positions in the attack. He's a really good option for us. Today we played with three front players and it worked really well. He 
he does work really hard. He got an assist yesterday. He got a goal, which was then ruled out. And I, I did feel slightly sorry for him. He ripped his top off and he celebrated with the fans. And then once the goal got ruled out, he then got booked for it and he didn't even get a goal. He's still yet to score a goal for Tottenham. He's got a couple of assists so far this season. Be honest. You can say, Fergal, you're wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. But I, I just don't, I still don't see it. Have you seen enough from his performances at Spurs to say, yeah, Conte knows what he's doing and Richarlison is ready or do you think this is still a bit of a, a step for him? I think this is just a, a different option for the minute. I feel, I feel like I'm kind of with you a little bit in the sense Thanks, that I don't Jay. think Richarlison is, you know, this amazing attacking force and you're like, oh, you know, we've got to face Richarlison this weekend. This is going to be a nightmare. But he is someone who is a bit of a live wire. He does graft as well. And there was times at Everton where he was like their only outlet at times. So he had all that pressure and being the, you know, he had to do it all, all on his own. And he'd do that. Do you know what I mean? He'd, he'd run himself into the ground for you. And now he's coming into a Spurs team where they've got options. They've He's probably not, you know, when everyone's fit, and I think this has been the case anyway, not going to start. But if you're rotating, if you're bringing him in, you're off the bench, he will cause pro- defenders problems. So I get why they brought him in. I get why they wanted him. I don't think it, this is you what you go, Richarlison, now they've gone from a top four team to a title challenging team. I don't think he's that kind of player, but he is someone different and you do need options as well in attack. And we've seen it this season. The irony is Son's not scoring and neither's Richarlison. So it's not like he's gone, okay, I'll pick up the slack from Son, you know, having a bit of a barren spell because neither of them, I think, have, have got off the mark this season, which is, you know, especially for Son, is quite odd. I think he'll turn it around though. Um, but yeah, I... I um, I'm I'm sort of on the fence in terms of Richarlison winding people up and all that. I don't really mind it too much. It's a little bit annoying when you play against him the way he goes down so easily and all that other stuff. But it don't bother me. But it was a bit cringe when it with all the shirt off and throwing it about and all that, and then you, your goals ruled out. I almost felt sorry for him a little bit because I was like Ant was saying earlier, as a fan, you've been there celebrating and then finding out your goals being disallowed, and it kind of spoils it a little bit. I was at the United game earlier today. And I think it was for Marcus Rashford's second goal. One of the lads who was near me was like, it's offside, it's offside. And he wasn't really celebrating. He was, I was like, it's not. Do you know what I mean? But there's that thing of like, people almost have that in their head now. VAR's going to get involved in this, even when they're not. And that's a sad thing because, you know, it is taking someone away from the game in it where, especially if you, I'm not, I'm not you know, I'm, I know it takes it away from you if you sat watching at home, but when you're in the ground and you can't see what's going on, it's just spoiling it a bit for me and, and that is a real, real worry. Uh, and Jay's given me a perfect build-in to my next question. So keep in mind, a striker that gets on people's nerves, <laughs> goes down easily and has lots of nonsense. So keep that in mind just for a quick second. Uh, penultimate game that we're covering tonight was uh, from Saturday, a 1-0 win for Wolves over Southampton. But after the game, some really bad injury news. Sasa Kalahadzic, who's only just signed for Wolves, tore a knee ligament on his debut. And Raul Jimenez is also expected to be out for a spell. So... Wolves have fired the bat signal into the sky and they are taking Diego Costa on trial next week. He's currently a free agent, so they can sign him outside of the transfer window. Remember all those things that Jay has just said about Richarlison? Well, the king of all of those things could be back in the Premier League playing for Wolves next weekend. Do you want him back? Diego back? Oh, well, they fired a bat signal up into the sky, but they've got a werewolf coming. Uh, <laughs> I mean, he is, the guy is, uh, you know, you would not you would not want to be sat next to him on a plane 
or you know but in terms of having him in your team up front absolutely i mean you, you know i i think the fact that he he wound so many uh fans up you know that that just says it all really yeah he's such an effective player at what he does uh, i i mentioned earlier uh, about Ivan Tony being able to do that, but him being a nice guy, I would not say this about uh, Diego Costa. I don't know him personally, and he may be very nice, but I get the impression that he is not at all, and I would not like to play against him. And uh, I, I think you know it was uh, well. The eyes will be glued to screens all over. There'll ticket sales will go up. Just everybody will want to see him coming back in, partly because they they really don't like him. And um, yeah, I, I I struggle to think of of of, of a player that, that that people relish in in not liking as much as him. But then you look at his record and what he was able to do, and you know Wolves have really struggled. You know we we've seen in, in in previous seasons when him and I had that head head injury. You know without that focal point, without somebody that was going to get goals. And yes, he's maybe not the player that he was, but he's still only thirty three. And we've seen many players. I mean, look at how many goals Ronaldo got last season at thirty six. And I'm not saying he's going to get that many, but I, I'd fancy him to to come along. He's just just confirmed the trial just as we're recording this now. And if that works out, I'd say you you guarantee to get yourself. 10 goals and probably as many red cards throughout the season for him. Yeah, it will be absolutely box office if he comes back. But he's only on trial as it stands and uh, Bruno Lage is going to make a decision. <laughs> yeah, he'll be on trial by the end of the season. <laughs> probably, probably. Well, Bruno Lage <laughs> is going to make a decision uh, in the next couple of days as to whether or not Diego Costa will be back in the Premier League. Uh, final game of the weekend and suitably because it's the last one is a nil-nil, Jay. Newcastle nil, Crystal Palace nil. But again, VAR right at the middle of it. Eddie Howe was unhappy. Alan Shearer was absolutely livid. Tyreek Mitchell's own goal was ruled out for a foul against Joe Willock in the build-up. Now, Vicente Guaita had a stormer either side of this decision that went against Newcastle. And they are frustrated because they, they were better. They probably deserved to get all three points. But this is another episode of a VAR call that was just not properly enforced. And, and rival fans look at this and sympathy is not very often shared out amongst fans. But when a decision blatantly goes against the team and it's not fair and VAR is involved you do have a little bit of sympathy. Yeah, I think you do, unless you're Patrick Vieira. It made me laugh that Patrick Vieira, I think, said, you know, um, he sort of bats it because he's a <laughs> manager. I think you get a lot of that, don't you? With with managers, no matter what, go, you know, when it's when it's against them, they go berserk and, and have all these rants. And when it's, it goes in their favour, they're like, mm, well, you know, you can understand why he's given that sort of thing. But yeah, it's it's the problem we've got is, you know, VAR was meant to be this thing that was make, meant to make, you know, the game better and football better and, and solve all these issues and cause less controversy. We didn't need more controversy in football. I don't think we were like, oh, wouldn't it be better if we could have more arguing after the game about decisions or more sort of analysis about referees or more debate about whether technology is doing its job. You didn't need all that. And that's what we've got. You've got these sort of three or four minute times it's um, three or four minute sort of periods it's taken to make these decisions where you, you know you're all sort of stood around waiting or if you're in the game or just at home and you're just waiting then you've got the referee going on this monitor then you've got all this other debate now you've got as I mentioned earlier you know some referees are going over the monitor as Michael Oliver did and sticking by their own decision which I think is going to sort of 
cause problems in itself because then you're going to get this thing of, oh, well, why did he get called over if he's not going to turn it over sort of thing. So, yeah, it's just it's just not making football better for me. And I can understand why Eddie Howe was frustrated and it's, it's difficult to feel sorry, for, in my opinion, for Newcastle because they've won the lottery, haven't they? Do you know what I mean? Like It's like, come on. Um, but, yeah, in that case, I think the decision was a bad one and it's not the only bad decision we've seen this weekend, is it? And, you know, yet again, we're talking about VAR I do have a solution. I do have a solution for it, though. Go on, my and, friend. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talking about, like they do at cricket, being able to hear the conversation and those kinds of things, which may have an impact. Uh, other people saying maybe move from Stockley Park to being in the stadium where, where the game's happening. I actually think the solution to this is they do the VAR and the match commentary and punditry from the same place, right? Because can you just imagine them trying to pass some of those decisions by with Roy Keane sat next to them? Yeah. <laughs> like that. Intimidate your way to a decision. Do you know one thing I would say, though? What really annoys me about VAR, just I know we're wrapping up, is this slowing things down. I just, it, it's a bug. You know when you slow things down to like four frames a second or whatever, and you're just like... It looks worse when it's in slow-mo, some of these things. I think if you watch it in real time, it's it's more realistic and it's more gives you an impression of what's actually happening. When we keep slowing some of these things down, it just looks a lot worse. And I don't know, maybe that's that could help, but it's certainly not the answer. No, and I think it's fair to say VAR has had an absolute stinker this weekend. Uh, we are going to wrap it up for tonight's edition of the Premier League Review Show on the Football Social Daily. Jay, Ant, a bumper weekend. Thanks for joining me. I'm still in shock that, that me and Ant have been on a podcast and he's been so nice to me. This is really disconcerting. I just, can we make no, sure this I, doesn't well, happen well, again? It's, it's down to United, really, just keep him playing the way they do. Um, uh, we'll see. I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'll, we'll call a truce until the derby and, the, and then it's gloves are off. All right, fair enough. That's more like it. Normal service. <laughs> Jay, I've got to ask you, though, before we do call it a day, is he still your favourite yeah. Anthony? <laughs> he's in my top 10 <laughs> put it that way <laughs> he's in your top 10 okay fair enough I think I think that's fair enough on the back of uh, the weekend uh, a certain Anthony from Manchester has had I think that is uh, that is more than fair uh, that's it for tonight's show the guys will be back tomorrow Monday is Moan Day I'm pretty sure VAR is going to get another airing and obviously building up to the return of the Champions League so you know the drill by now if you've not hit subscribe already give it a click up the top and you can get access to a brand new show as soon as it's ready. Thanks for listening and we'll see you again very soon. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.